the first two chapters is the Apostle Paul giving a defense of his ministry. He is, as he says, a servant, a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ, not dependent upon man, not dependent upon anyone else but God. He didn't go to a seminary or a cemetery to learn anything about God. God taught him for three years in the desert. I'd have loved to enroll in that school. Can I get an amen from the congregation? That would have been a great school to be a part of. But the Apostle Paul in chapters 1 and 2 defends the fact, even to, as he ends chapter 2, by saying that I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In chapter 3 and in chapter 4, we're running into mud. Theology has a way of doing that. It bogs us down because there's so much information in these two chapters that is action-packed. The Apostle Paul is taking these people from the present to the past. And in chapter two, or chapter three and verse 10, he takes them all the way back to what something was written by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 27 and verse 26. The story is told of a, a bear. A bear that was in a zoo, and as the bear was young, it lived in a cage that was 12 feet by 12 feet. Over time, the bear understood the dimensions of his cage in so much so that he could close his eyes and begin walking and before his nose touched the end of the cage, he would turn and go back the other way. And then before his nose touched the other end of the cage, he would turn and go back the other way. He did that time and time again. The zookeeper recognized that the bear might be getting just a little bit too large for this 12 by 12 cage. And so they built him a 36 by 36 foot cage. Thinking that they were giving to this bear some extra room. But when they put the bear in that cage... They recognized the fact that he only used 12 foot by 12 foot. Because that's what he was used to. He was ingrained. He was trained. And in his own mind, even though the dimensions of the cage were so much freer, but yet he still only knew what 12 foot by 12 foot is. The people of Galatia were that bear. They, they had been set free by the gospel of Jesus Christ. But yet they determined to go back to that 12 foot by 12 foot cage. 
And so when the Apostle Paul begins in chapter 3, he refers to them as being, you foolish Galatians. Not that they didn't have wisdom, not that they weren't smart, but what they lacked was spiritual understanding. He says to them, you foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you that has caused you to want to go back to that 12 foot by 12 foot cage? And so the Apostle Paul now is developing a very slow and cumbersome walk, but a very important walk because now he is setting the stage that justification is by faith and faith alone, not by keeping of the works of the law. And justification, we have determined, is an act of God whereby he declares individuals not guilty who trust in Christ and Christ alone for their only hope of eternal life. Not guilty. But when we go back, and I, and I want you to do that, go, go back to the book of Deuteronomy. We're going to tie this all together. Deuteronomy chapter 27. We all know that the book of Deuteronomy is Moses' last instruction to the nation of Israel prior to their going into the promised land. They're coming to the end of their 400 years of journey, 40 years of journey, excuse me. And Moses is preparing them. To get ready. In chapter 27, beginning at verse 11 through the end of that chapter, Moses is designing a praise meeting. He says to them that there are two mountains on the other side of the Jordan Mount Gerizim. And Mount Ebal. Uh, when you get over there, you are supposed to build an altar on Mount Ebal. It is to be built not using any stone that has been chiseled. It has to be all rough stone, which means God doesn't want man-made religion coming to him. He wants what he's made. And then they are to whitewash those stones for the purpose of creating the first century in history a whiteboard. And there they are to write the law. Then he said, when you get there and you do all of that, then you are to divide the nation of Israel into two groups. And, and when some group, the half of the group is supposed to be at the base of Mount Gerizim, the other half at the base of Mount Ebal. What's interesting, those two names of those two mountains dictate of what Moses is getting to. Mount Ebal literally means barrenness, emptiness. Nothing can grow there. 
Mount Gerasim in the Hebrew means mountain of blessing. And in chapter 27, 11 down to verse 26, Moses says that once they've got this altar built, once the the tribe of Israel is divided, once they're ready to go, then the priests are to stand and begin to recite curses. I, I read through these curses this morning again. It's amazing of how many of these curses, amazing of how many of the actions that cause these curses are even evident in our society today. It's scary. It's scary. But according to Jewish tradition, what we don't get is the opposite of that. What's written for us are the curses But Jewish tradition says if you just turn them to the positive, you get blessings. Let me show you how that works. Let me just read the first curse for you. I do not want to spoil your day, but here it is. Verse 15. Cursed is the one who makes a carved or molded image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and sets it up in secret. The positive would be, blessed is the one who doesn't do that. You find out how it goes. Now here's the thing. Here's the praise meeting. Because after the blessing is read, and after the curse is read, it says in that verse also, that all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Can you imagine that praise meeting going on? At this time, there's at least two million people separated on two hillsides, and they're getting it going. The priests say, cursed is the one. And you kind of wonder, how in the world can they make all them people here? Well, if you're sitting in a valley and mountains on each side of you, That's a natural amplifier. But notice it says priests, plural. It wasn't just one priest. Levites. It wasn't just one. So you have a priestly tribe who's making it known. They're the preachers. My wife once in a while says, man, you were loud today. It's time to put the praise on. And they began and the people proclaimed. You ready? It's a four letter word. I'll count to three. You say it. One, two, three. Good Lord, have mercy. The Canaanites would have said, big deal. I don't think you got the just of the passage here. This was not, amen. This wasn't after a meal when you say grace, amen, in a restaurant. You don't want to be too loud there. Can I get an amen? Oh, you were louder at that time than you were the first time. They made it known 
that what they were to do, they were going to do, and what they were not going to do, they were not going to do. Oh, you might be wondering, when did this take place? Joshua chapter 8. Joshua chapter 8, the chapter closes with them fulfilling what Moses gave them instructions to do. Joshua chapter 8 was after the battle of Jericho. It was after the battle of Ai, small city that was so small, only need two letters to describe it. And they were in the presence of God. And they wanted the Canaanites to know that it's just not rocks that fall. It's just not a city that ends. They wanted everybody to know that they got a God that's got it all in control. And so one more time now. You ready? On three. One, two, three. There you go. Now the world got you got the world's attention now. But what I wanted to draw you to is the last curse. Verse 26. For that last curse is the first thing that Paul said in verse 10. For he said, cursed is everyone who does not keep all of the law. That's what Paul is saying. You want to forsake faith and chase after a 12 by 12 cage. James picks it up a little bit more when he says in chapter 2 where he says, and, and just by chance, if you try to keep the law and you miss one point, you've broke the whole thing. So the Apostle Paul now begins to not just lay the foundation that justification, being righteous in God's sight is by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen from the congregation? You're not on Mount Abel, you're on Gerizim now. What is it? Amen. But now Paul begins to tell them what the law is all about. Why did God give the law in the first place? What was its reasons? It was not something that provides for us sanctification, justification, glorification. Then what's the use of it? Probably best described by saying, have you ever been stopped by a police officer to say, thank you for stopping at that stop sign? Have you ever had a state police officer pull you over and say, I just want to say thank you for not running that yellow light. Can I get an amen? Oh, yeah. You see, they're not about, the law is not about congratulating anybody. The law is about showing us how bad we really are. You see, Abraham, Paul says, Abraham, in Galatians chapter 3, Abraham was justified by faith 
430 years before the law even showed up. Because you believe God. You go back in Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 13, and Genesis chapter 25, and you will find the exact same phrase. For in your seed, the world will be blessed. And Abraham believed that, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Faith. Faith is that outward Walk that has been determined by an inward belief. It's literally taking God at his word and saying amen as each step we take. Amen literally means I agree with or I am in fellowship with what has just been said. And so when Paul, and now in Galatians chapter 3, has made the statement, a 12 by 12 cage does nothing for you. He begins to lay out what it is that they need. And it is faith. Back to Galatians chapter 3. By the way, if you want to put the praise on every once in a while in the sermon, that's cool. Or that's all right with me. Let me give to you in the closing minutes what we wish to talk about this morning in our in our word. As we deal with, first of all, the problem of the curse. In verses 10 to verse 14, the problem of the curse is that we can't in any way be declared righteous by God by keeping the law. But what has happened for us is that what Jesus Christ has done for us. And is that that he became a curse for us. You see, when, when Christ hung on the cross, God turned his back. That's why it turned to darkness. That's why Christ cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because he became a curse for us. Paul quotes Deuteronomy chapter 21, where it says, Cursed is every man that hangs on a tree. Not only did Christ become a curse for us, but in it, it says, Gentiles now can come to faith. That's you and that's me. Gentiles. We belong to the family of Abraham. We are part of his seed through Christ Jesus. That's not a new theme for the Apostle Paul. 
for he renders that also in the book of Romans. In fact, some people say that Galatians is just a shrunk type of the book of Romans. Romans elaborates much more on the issues that are presented in Galatia. But it is by faith, the Apostle Paul says, that we are justified by God. Gentiles have come into the wonderful relationship by God. Also, it says that we receive the Spirit. Christ was a curse for us, and we received the Spirit on that day that we trust Jesus Christ. And aren't you glad you got the Holy Spirit living with you? Because it is by the Holy Spirit that we know what is right and what is wrong. Oh, but the Apostle Saul, Paul says, be careful and don't quench the Spirit of God, whereby we are sealed unto the day of redemption. Be careful how you treat him. Listen to him. And do that which he tells you to do. John chapter 16. That's what he's come for. The second thing too, and our closing here is this. Is that there is a promise of the covenant. There's a promise of the covenant. In verses 15 to 18. And the promise is this, it's twofold. First, it was given on the basis of faith. As the Apostle Paul says throughout this passage, it's not seeds, plural, but seed. God said to Abraham, the whole world is going to be blessed by you. For the seed that comes through his line. And in Matthew chapter 1, it focuses on the fact that Jesus Christ came from Abraham through his line. He's the promised seed that brings to us salvation. The second part of that is this, is that Paul applied this principle of the permanence of faith by affirming that a covenant made so long before could not possibly be altered at a later time by the law. 430 years later is when the law came into being. Abraham was accounted righteous by faith. In fact, it says that, that God would not change his promise with Abraham. It was, it was fashioned and it was kept. Someone's asked the question, maybe you have. Well, how did people get saved in the Old Testament? The same way we do. By grace through faith. They had faith in what was coming. We have faith in what has happened. It's by faith. And faith alone. So what good is the law? I'm glad you asked. Because the Apostle Paul lays that out for us. 
The law is to be our teacher. Rhetorical questions. Is there anything wrong when it says thou shalt not kill? Part of the law. Is anything wrong with saying thou shalt not steal? Is there anything wrong when it says thou shalt not bear false witness? Senators, you hearing? You shall not bear false witness. Is there anything wrong with that? Not at all. For God wrote it. He determined it to be a guiding light. That when you looked at it, the first thing that came to your mind was, I am lost. Someone commented on the law as as being that what is like a mirror. We go to the mirror in the morning to make sure our hair is combed properly, to make sure we look halfway decent before we leave the house. It just shows us a reflection of who we are. The mirror can't dress you. The mirror can't comb your hair. The mirror can't even brush your teeth. But it will tell you if you haven't done those things. That's what the law does. The law can't change you. The law can't do for you. It only shows you Of what needs to be done. And I've looked into the law. I've looked into that mirror. And I've discovered one thing. That I think all of you have also discovered. And it's this. Woe is me for I'm undone. For it is Christ alone. What the law could not do. Christ has accomplished. In that the fact that the law cannot save you. Jesus Christ can save you. In the fact that the law is weak, in the fact that it cannot produce any righteousness in you, in Christ, in Christ alone, we can be made right. And it's all by faith. This morning, I have a question for you. Where do you stand with Jesus? I'm not going to tell you what you have to do. But I'm going to tell you what you need to do. You need to, by simple faith, trust in him and him alone. By asking him to be your sin bearer. By believing what he did for you is enough. And I guarantee you. He'll make you clean. What the wall could not do, he will do. He will bless you beyond what you can even begin to imagine. Yes, even in the midst of storms. The law doesn't walk with you. Jesus Christ does. And it's in him and him alone where we have our being. What you need to do is trust him.
And it's just simply asking him to come and be your savior. The Philippian jailer wonderfully, as he was talking to Peter, he said, what must I do to be saved? Peter said, just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. If you've not done that, I beg of you this morning to do that. I would be like the Apostle Paul. Don't go chasing after that which cannot change you. Grab hold of the one who can. And his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, again, we recognize the fact that what the law could not do, you accomplished on the cross of Calvary. It is by your death, burial, and resurrection that we rest upon the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ has paid my sin's debt. And all I have to do is believe, to trust in him. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who has never trusted in you, trusted in you and you alone by simple faith, Lord, I pray that this would be their day. Lord, I pray that they wouldn't leave this facility. That maybe someone even watching on YouTube this coming week, Lord, have them call the office. Have them come and talk to me, Lord, that we can show them from the word of God how they may can know they can have eternal life. And so, Lord, I thank you for your grace. And it is by faith and faith in you that we come to that wonderful relationship of being called sons and daughters of the living God. To you be the glory and the dominion and the power both now and forevermore. And in Christ's name we ask these things. May it be so. Amen.